Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about the crucial mistakes to avoid as a 401k plan provider. Uh, a lot of the things uh, I like to rail about, uh, having uh, you know worked for uh, TPAs and law firms and all that kind of stuff. But of course, first things first, go to that 401ksite.com for further information on all our live and virtual events at the uh, just three weeks away, National Virtual Conference, uh, two days, it's going to be like something like, uh, you know, I think the first day it's going to be like 12 to 3, second day 11 to 2 or something like that. We'll see um, how that will be. We're working on the schedule and, and hope to have something by next week. We already have 50 people signed up. Uh, if you get the emails from me, sign up for free. Uh, if you don't, you pay a couple bucks and be part of it. And then, of course, May the 3rd, uh, Arlington, Texas, June the 7th, uh, Yankee Stadium. These are events that we're going to have and um, looking forward to it. Um, and um, uh, this is obviously the first podcast of 2024. We'll figure out how many weeks it will take me to stop writing 2023 for checks. Um, came back from Florida a few days back, uh, trying to get back in the swing of things. Um, you know, and that's always really hard to do after like a week and change off. And of course, uh, with Florida, uh, you know, weather wasn't so great, but you know, went to a lot of sporting events. My, my son thinks I'm StubHub. So went to a Bucks game, back-to-back Ranger games. So, um, we're back in the swing of things, as they say. And as you know, because I keep on repeating it, um, I started my own practice, um, 13 years ago. I... You know, I was a malcontents employee. I don't know if I, 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 I just, I just was a malcontent. Um, just didn't enjoy working for other people who just, I, in my opinion, didn't see the future that was right in front of them. Whether it was TPA firms that just didn't understand that you know fee disclosure was going to be a thing, uh, I predicted it about uh, five years before it happened, um, and I knew that. You know, our organization wasn't going to survive it, and it didn't. And, uh, you know, worked at a law firm for a couple of years, and um, I saw that they didn't understand the use of social media and, and getting clients and dissemination of information to get clients and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they thought the old, uh, the old way was going to work out. And, um, you know, that law firm is, you know, less than half the size than it was when I left in 2010. But, uh, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes even in the past 13 years on my own. Um, I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, I think the most important thing about mistakes is to learn from them. Um, if you keep on making the same mistakes all over and over and again, you don't learn. You don't grow. Um, I've tried to learn and grow in working with people and a lot of situations where it would always reoccur. Uh, as my wife would say, you fall in love a little too quickly with some things. And, you know, I, I, I've learned over the past, I want to say, seven years to step back and not get involved in certain situations where I was only going to get hurt. But as a plan provider, um, I think it's important to understand there are crucial mistakes that can be avoided. Um, number one off the top, as, as like I said, as a, as a malcontent former employee, not understanding your employees are the most important asset. My father was a licensed electrician for this 
licensed electrician in the city of New York. Um, they were a, uh, he worked for a contracting firm where he was a smaller partner than he should have been. That's neither here nor there. Um, they were uh, part of one union, Local 363, and then they jumped and became a Local 3 IBEW contracting firm. And uh, I don't know if you know much about electricians, but with Local 3, uh, they have a qualified apprenticeship program. Um, you have these uh, certain guys that, you know, my father needed to have on the job. We call them a journeyman. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about an MCAR or I forget even get MIJ or whatever it is. But, you know, you have an apprenticeship program, then they become like an M worker or MIJ, and then they become a, a journeyman. And my father had a crew of guys that actually followed him from Local 363 to Local 3. Um, you know, with the union, you call up looking for employees, you get what you get. Whatever uh, the hiring hall sends you, this is what you get. You could, you know, work with them. Some were very good, some were not so good. Uh, the ones who were not so good were just people who just didn't want to give in, a, you know, an honest day's work. Um, and then my father would just lay them off and bring in somebody else. But he knew, you know, he knew who he liked, he knew who worked hard, and these are people that worked for him for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, and again, Local 3, these A workers are people who served, uh, I think it's three to four years as part of his apprenticeship program. They worked on the job as an apprentice. Um, they learned. But when you're dealing with the retirement plan business, um, there isn't an apprenticeship program. There isn't a bona fide apprenticeship program. So when my I worked at a TPA again, it was a law. I was really working for the law firm associated with the TPA, that the uh, you know two of the law firm partners own the um, TPA business. They were recruiting people from my alma mater, Stony Brook, uh, or as I always say, the uh, drives people nuts. It is the number one public university uh, in the state of New York, and that drives. The people who are big up the graduates up the wall. Stony Brook was the worst of the four SUNY centers when I applied. Now it's number one. So they admitted me in 1990. They would not admit me in 2024. Uh, I don't take that personally. Um, you know, again, I, I think that the problem with being an employee. I never wanted an employee because I was an employee once too. It's very, very hard to keep people satisfied. Um, you know, for me, it was the lack of, you know, a bonus or that annual fight for a raise. When dealing with narcissists, you'd hear how great you were doing all year long. Then you annual review when you want that raise, you you heard how bad you were. Um, you never, you know, I never felt appreciated. Um, you know, my wife uh, works for a law firm now, finally found the law firm that she's happy with, and, you know, she's complaining about a bonus, and the bonus was in the five figures. I would have been happy with a bonus. I got a bonus once, Harvey Berman, I think when I started, uh, I was three months in, I got a $300 bonus, and that's the last bonus I ever got from an employer. So I did feel appreciated. People want to feel appreciated. You give what you, you know, 
you give what you get, and when you have no loyalty and you, you don't support them, uh, you will get it back with fewer employees that are going to stay with you. Replacing good employees is very, very hard to do. It's very, very hard to find good, um, you know, qualified staff, I think. Um, you know, a lot of people around bounce, bouncing firms from firms to firms. They never get any good. Um, they never got the training. And uh, it takes time. It takes money to replace employees. So if you treat your employees really well, give them good benefits, stop changing a health plan every year. If you're in the benefits business, give good benefits. People want to feel appreciated. I didn't. I don't know if, you know, as a malcontent, I don't know if I'd ever feel appreciated. But, you know, uh, give me a thousand bucks for bonus and it might have done something for me. Uh, which always reminds me, I hate the one thing, the one thing I, I just, I'm so glad, you know, not being a employee anymore. Probably, I, I wouldn't say top, but top five is the holiday party. I hate holiday parties. Um, I hated holiday parties because, you know, a lot of the firms that I went to wouldn't fork over the money so your you know, spouse would be there, or significant other. And I didn't want to pal around for two, three hours with a whole bunch of people that I see 40 to 45 hours a week. Uh, it always reminds me of the George Carlin joke. Somebody goes up to you in the bar and says, can I buy you a drink? And you tell them, no, but can I have the money instead? Uh, when you don't get a bonus, I'd rather have the 100, 150 bucks uh, for the, uh, you know, that you paid for me to go to the holiday party at the uh, Grand Central, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Garden City Hotel or the, um, or the um, New York Athletic Club, whatever it is. Um I think the next crucial mistake, talk about employees, is mistaking long-term employees for being loyal. Uh, I'm amazed when I have coworkers who talk about uh, coworkers, uh, former coworkers who have been at firms for like 20 years. You know, we we left uh, when CBIS closed down, CBIS Retirement Services then closed down, and they'll be working at a place for 20 years, and I'll be amazed by it. Because, uh, you know, the longest job I've ever had is a job I'm currently sitting in. Having my own firm, I can't fire myself. Uh, it's been 13 years, and no other job comes close. Uh, I worked uh, as a TPA attorney for Geller Group for almost five years. That's about it. Um, and I'm glad for them that there are people out there that can work in a place, and, and you know, they don't want to go anywhere else. But that being said, I think that there are employees who can go nowhere else, that that's the reason why they stay at where they work. Um, again, I worked at a place and, oh, she's so wonderful and he's so wonderful because he's been there all this time. Well, he's here all this time because he couldn't get a job anywhere else. Um, I've seen that. Uh, and I, I think, it, you know, long tenures don't imply loyalty. Again, I worked at a TPA and you had people there working 20 some odd years and they were terrible. And they weren't really loyal. They just couldn't get a job anywhere else. And, you know, one TPA is out of business that I have, and it was taken over by, like, a, another TPA affiliate company. And these people are still working there. I have I have in mind because they are um, they weren't very good employees. Um, they weren't knowledgeable. And I just think that you can't assume that just because someone's there is long-term is that they're loyal at all. I think it's just the fact that they couldn't get a job anywhere else. Um, honestly, uh, you know, 
that's how I see it. Um, these are people that, uh, you know, didn't, uh, could, couldn't work anywhere else because that, that's just it. And, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's one of the big mistakes that you can make. Next on my hit list, not understanding what network really is. When I worked at that law firm, uh, I knew I couldn't get business from our current partners. Uh, they guarded their client list like it was the holy grail. Um, that's how they protected it. So I decided to try to network, build relationships, um, you know, and, you know, writing these articles that plant providers could use and they created a lot of goodwill. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as part of the networking, I found a, a small group of uh, business owners out in Long Island. And uh, that was really a mistake. Um, it was really a mistake because most of the people just didn't have retirement plans. They couldn't afford. They were entrepreneurs. Uh, and you'd, you would network with investment advisors who were in that group. And these are people who just didn't have a sizable retirement plan practice. They were just uh, trying to sell me, uh, you know, insurance or investments that I didn't really need. And, uh, you know, I, I actually hired one of these advisors, one of those mistakes I made. I got schmoozed into, you know, taking my $50,000 IRA or whatever it was and putting it in a proprietary REIT product um, that this brokerage firm sold. It was, you know, it's not readily traded. They were investing in long-term, like, hotels, you know, like the residence in and all that kind of stuff. So I'll put the money in, and then a year later, the guy changes firms. He goes from this firm to, you know, one of the bigger brokerage firms, and he calls me up, and, uh, you know, he disparaged the investment that he sold me. Oh, you know, you're, you're dealing with that REIT. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, you know it's, it's restricted, and there's lawsuits, and this, this, and that. And uh, I think the biggest mistake that, you know, people do with networking is thinking that, you know, they should just... Um, you know, uh, that networking uh, should be a quick sale. Uh, everything has to be direct. Um, you know, I've networked with advisors for years and years and years, and it would take years and years to get a referral from them. There are some advisors I get a referral every five years. I don't push. I don't try to direct sale. Um, you know, um, I... You know, again, I, I tried networking again during COVID. I had a buddy of mine locally who ran these networking meetings by a pizzeria that I liked. So it was an excuse to go get a slice of pizza. Um, and then during COVID, they went to a virtual networking, which I think they still do. And it's nothing worse than, you know, at the time I, you know, still have those conference logos, you know, that 4K conference. Uh, we're doing it in May and June. And I had it as my background for the Zoom meeting. And so some guy selling a, a bottle of wine for favors is like, oh, that, that logo look, would look great on a wine label. And uh, I, I don't want to buy your lousy wine to give as gifts. I just don't give gifts. I just think it's silly, those holiday gifts, in my opinion. Um, and I told him. I'll help you network, but I, I'm not interested. And that, that was the end of it for him because he was only interested in selling directly to me. He wasn't interested in building a relationship. You know, I've never tried to sell directly to an advisor or a plan sponsor. You, you know, you have an ERISA manner, you know I'm there. 
uh, you know what I do, you know I'm there, and, and that's how it is. You know, I w work with so many advisors around the country, um, you know, uh, they are my best referral sources out there. So there's nothing, in my opinion, more aggravating to get a cold email from a uh, advisor who just wants to, you know, deal with, uh, you know, just wants to sell me services. And, you know, it, 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 the best with those, with those emails, you know, it's like they clearly don't know what I do. Um, but it's just like I, I work with people similar in the uh, you know legal industry, and I'm like, okay, that's great, but what do I care? And um, you know, in the end, if I need a financial advisor, who am I going to pick? People that I've known for ten to fifteen years, or the guy who just sent me an email? Speaking of cold emails, I think uh, a crucial mistake are the cold emails. Um, one of the first things I did when I started my own practice was sign up for constant contact. To me, it was great. I still use it. It's thirteen years later push out a couple of newsletters. I think one's dropping today on Tuesday. And, you know, it's a great way to build up, uh, you know, attendance for the conferences, all that kind of stuff. I get, you know, 12,000 emails. They work really, really well. Uh, there are people who, for one reason or another, didn't sign up for my emails, no longer wanted. And, you know, there's a safe unsubscribe button with these contact emails. And it's no hard feelings. I even have one of the guys who sponsored a lot of my events, I think, uh, inadvertently unsubscribed. Um, you know, you get five, six unsubscribes every time you send that an email. It's not bad. But, uh, you know, I don't feel like people should get a barrage of my content if they don't want it. What I've noticed a lot lately is the barrage of cold emails from plan providers and companies that provide services to law firms and there's no like unsubscribe button uh, they're annoying as heck uh, you know they say well if you don't want me to email you uh, email back unsubscribe and I'll stop bothering you I, and I don't want to do it it's just really annoying I'd rather deal with your crappy emails just delete it than giving you the satisfaction that I took time out of my day to answer back and say unsubscribe uh, you know this is just ridiculous. Um, it's really annoying, especially when they continue to follow up. And, you know, there was one guy, I forgot who who he was or whatever. He literally sent like seven emails um, before I think he gave up. And, you know, it's like, you know, can I put a pin in it? Can I, you know, constantly follow up? And uh, again, the one that really bothered me recently was, again, like I said, uh, guy emails, I provide investment management and financial planning services to individuals and families. Many of my clients have similar backgrounds to yours, to yours, and I wanted to ask if you have interest in talking. Let's say what kind of similar backgrounds. You know, lawyers, retirement plan providers, Aerosmith fans, New York Mets and Ranger fans. I, I don't know what similar backgrounds. I had another... Uh, I had another advisor reach out, I think from New York City, and he said, uh, I'm really impressed with what you're doing in the legal industry, which means he didn't know exactly what ERISA attorneys were. It, just, like, it was just like one of those just generic emails. I just thought it was really hilarious because it was clear that he did not know what I did. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I've used the same um, – I've used the same – Auto mechanic for the last 25 years, which reminds me, AAA is coming any minute to uh, replace the battery on my Prius. Hopefully, that's just the problem with my Prius. I've used, 
you know, go to the same pizzeria, which now it's kind of weird because my daughter just quit that pizzeria from working there, and I did get a warm welcome. But, you know, I go to these places. I go to Ralph. I go to the pizza place because I'm treated really well. I'm treated with respect. I'm treated with just, you know, even at the pizzeria, you, you get a free slice here and there. Ralph, you know, if there's a, a there's a, an NNM automotive, if there's a tire in my, if there's a tire, if there's a screw in my tire and they plug it, they don't charge me. You can't get better service. Um, you have loyalty. And I just don't think these cold emails just do it. Um, you know, it just, I, I, I don't know how I would hire a financial advisor just based on a cold email. Uh, again, my cold emails, they're not cold. I'm not trying to sell a service. I got articles you can use, you can, you know, and, and that's it. I, if you have an ERSA matter, you know to call me because I'm out there. And, you know, cold emails to me are just really, really cold. The greatest foreign key salesperson I ever knew was a guy by the name of Richard Lareda. And he knew almost nothing about 401k plans. I used to joke he couldn't spell 401k if I spot him the 4, the O, the 1, the K, K. And that didn't matter. He didn't have to know because he would bring me in. He would bring in the actuary. He would bring in the people who did know. What made him success was his warmth and understanding of people. He knew that if he juiced in the advisor to a Mets game or a Yankees game or whatever it was, or treated him to dinner and you know whatever it was, there was a relationship there. And they loved him to the point where he's been gone now. It's just crazy to think he died in 2007. And that's, it's going to be 17 years, I think, in April. And people still talk about Rich Larita. Uh, and <laughs> Rich Larita did build relationships uh, on top of cold emails. Uh, I just don't think it will generate the business uh, that you think it will. Last but not least on the list, sponsoring everything. Um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, when I started my practice in 2010, I joked that there was an industry out there that wanted to separate me from my money. And when you start your own practice, you need a lot of stuff. You need web hosting, a website, business card, stationery, and just everything. I didn't. Uh, I still work out of the home. I, I got the UPS store box, which always makes me laugh because uh, I had a buddy of mine, an advisor that you know is a longtime friend now. But when I first started out, he tried stopping by and uh, wants to say hello, and you know he went to the uh, UPS store and he couldn't say hello since I wasn't there. Um, you know. I made mistakes. I wasted money on a PR guy who was just, you know, still active as it was 1980 uh, in getting clients. He was better at putting himself over and getting himself clients from my referrals and getting me clients from his referrals. Um, and of course, you know, his big shtick was uh, he told me, it's going to take you a long time to get into the Wall Street Journal because that's where I wanted to be. And I fired him. And within three months, I was in the Wall Street Journal based on something that I did on Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I, I wasted money on that. Uh, I didn't waste money on a lot of sponsorship opportunities. I just, I've seen a lot of events where providers I know will go to an attorney accounting networking group, get a table and just not do well with that stuff. Uh, you can go broke sponsoring events and, you know, I think the high sponsorship fees, um, is what led me to start that 401k conference. And, and, and the two people, two plant providers who I came up with the idea with that 401k conference, um, 
they'll, you know, they helped me along. I think it was the idea that, you know, you're spending, you know, $100,000 on a booth. There's got to be a better way. So that's why that 4K conference still to this day with these regional events, you know, doing it five years, six years, whatever it is, you just do it, uh, you know, charge 1500 bucks, $500 to show up and give a two, three minute elevator speech. I, I still do it. Um, we'll still have, you know, hopefully events this year. And, uh, you know, you can go broke, uh, you know, sponsoring everything. And you have to find the right audience. Um, you know, again, cheap plug, May the 3rd, June the 7th. Yankee Stadium, June the 7th, May the 3rd, Arlington, Texas. Um, you got to find the right connection. Um, and again, it's the same thing with the networking groups. I, I shot widely because those folks just didn't have retirement plans. And so you want, you know, people want you to sponsor charity events and this, this, and that. If it doesn't bring you the right audience, it's a waste of your money. If you want to be charitable and give to a great event, great. But the idea that you're going to do it and get, uh, you know, opportunities, I don't know. But I, I just think that you can go broke sponsoring everything. And, you know, that's why, like I said, I, I, I did that Disney event. I'll never do that again. Uh, I think, uh, you know, hosting an event during a pandemic breaking, uh, you know, sets you back uh, emotionally and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, but the local events will still do, still charge a reasonable fee. People want to be part of it. It's a nice, cute event. So anyway, hope uh, you enjoyed this episode of At 4K Podcast. Tune in next week for another fun-filled episode of At 4K Podcast. Thanks. Bye.